It's me, Angela Daly, your Rule of Law Rules podcast host. Welcome back to our regular listeners, and if it's your first time, hi there, and hope you enjoy the podcast. You've tuned in to the Rule of Law Rules podcast from the Conrad Adenauer Foundation. In this podcast, we talk to international experts about the rule of law in the age of digitalization and gain insights into recent developments in different parts of the world. Today, you're joining me for the sixth Rule of Law Rules podcast and the last in our first series on data protection and governance. So far, we've spoken to guests from South America, Europe, the Middle East and Africa to discuss developments in data protection and governance. We've spoken a lot about the EU's General Data Protection Regulation, its implementation in the EU and its influence outside of the EU as well. Today, we're back in Asia for our June guest, Dr. Lee San Natalie Pang. Natalie is Senior Lecturer in the Department of Communications and New Media and Principal Investigator in the Centre for Trusted Internet and Community at the National University of Singapore. Natalie has also been working on a project on data innovations and cultures in smart cities, which has also been funded by the Conrad Adenauer Foundation. So hi there, Natalie. Welcome to the podcast and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Angela. Uh, thanks for having me today. So... Regular listeners will know that we like to start and end our episodes with some quick-fire questions to introduce our guest and your views on data protection and governance. So I'm going to start a sentence and you can finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. Data protection is my favourite topic because... It affects my life. (laughs) The first time I realised the importance of data protection was... I guess it's when I realized that uh, there are certain identifiers that are linked to many other things that I do, including what I buy online and how old I am, what school I've been to, and so on. Data protection is a typically Singaporean thing because... Protection and innovation goes like hand in glove, and I think uh, on that note, uh, data protection and therefore innovation is a Singaporean thing because it drives uh, so much of what Singapore envisions uh, to be. Great. Thank you so much, Natalie. So let's move to our longer questions. First of all, can you tell us more about how you came to be working on digitalization, data governance, data protection? Well, I guess I've been kind of uh, looking at this topic of digitalization for a long time. Ever since I started my career in academia, I've been looking at um, social impacts of the internet and uh, more broadly also digitalization and various aspects of digitalization, right? Uh, so some years ago, I also kind of um, reached a juncture where I realized that Uh, the internet and increasingly uh, a lot of internet applications also involves uh, data, right? Um, The collection of data as well as the um, analysis and how data is used. So yeah, I started looking at the, you know, various, I guess, aspects of governing such data, you know, and I realized that uh, different jurisdictions, they then have very different kinds of frameworks and expectations um, about how our personal data um, is going to be managed. On that note, Natalie, can you give us an overview of the situation for data protection and data governance in your region, either Southeast Asia or Asia more generally? Can you tell us a bit more about 
whether countries have been introducing legislation, uh, have they set up new regulatory institutes, or are they using other kinds of initiatives, maybe not law or regulation, uh, to deal with data protection and governance? Uh, that's a great question. In my part of the world, uh, in Southeast Asia especially, um, a lot of, I, I guess, uh, thinking and debates have been going on about data protection. Uh, in Singapore, there is um, what we call the Personal Data Protection Commission. That uh, body, right, that unit looks after um, yeah, the governance as well as the laws and regulations uh, that uh, protects personal data. Um, in other countries, uh, that is not always formalized, although there are several developments that's going on, uh, even as we speak right now, right? Um, yeah, like for instance, in China, um, China just launched um, some months ago uh, already, right? Um, this uh, new regulation on personal data protection. Um, and uh, that's pretty exciting. And I think um, what comes out of it, you know, in terms of uh, how it's implemented, yeah, the extent to which uh, many of some of these regulations can be enforceable, uh, that remains to be seen. And in Korea, uh, I think uh, countries like um, uh, South Korea and even uh, India, right, uh, there's a lot of, I guess, lessons that are drawn from the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation in EU. Uh, and um, that's many of the principles from the GDPR do inform the debates and thinking on data protection in my in my part of the world, at least from what I can see. And so what do you think about this? Do you think it's appropriate that the GDPR does inform what's going on in Southeast Asia and other parts of Asia? What do you think in general about the governance situation in your part of the world? You know, there are some uh, principles of GDPR. I think uh, it's great that we do have uh, something like the GDPR to look to, right, in terms of looking at what the EU is actually enforcing and upholding as principles for data protection. But in terms of how it translates and how it actually becomes principles that's entirely or rather that becomes principles that are adopted in its entirety, right, uh, in different jurisdictions. I think it's a bit different from place to place. For instance, uh, in contrast to the GDPR principle of data minimizations, uh, in Singapore, Singapore's data regulations actually provides more leeway in terms of um, how the, the collection or use and disclosure of data can be broader. Like um, West, I think um, uh, we see that in India and China, right, uh, the regulations that uphold consent, informed consent, notification, and the necessity uh, principles. But um, yeah, these uh, principles, right, do not uphold sort of uh, de facto, especially where we see also private entities, private companies, uh, they are sort of able to evade some of these legal um, mandates, right? Or sometimes they sort of uh, break those principles and they do face uh, small penalties for breaking them. 
in the case of South Korea, yeah, in South Korea, they introduced what they call the three laws of data and most notably the Personal Information Protection Act, right? Um, and to abide by the GDPR, right? And it's, it's aligned very much with the key principles of GDPR. But of course, in terms of its implementation, even with the three laws of data in South Korea, we do see some non-consensual uh, processing of uh, personal data as well. Although that's been um, sort of uh, quite instrumental in their ability to battle the pandemic, right? Because of that provision for them to do this kind of non-consensual uh, processing of personal data. But those exceptional use cases do continue to yeah, attract lots of debates and um, I guess contestations as well. Sure. And I think um, quite a few of these themes are quite uh, prominent kind of globally, including issues around enforcement, um, which is still something that needs to be worked on everywhere, I would say, or in almost everywhere. Moving a bit to your own work, Natalie, you have been working on a project looking at digitalization and smart cities. Can you tell us a bit more about this work? And can you tell us in particular what you think the data protection risks, challenges, even opportunities are that smart cities present? My project looks at data governance and innovations um, in seven countries. So uh, we cover um, Singapore, India, South Korea, Japan, uh, China, um, Taiwan, and Hong Kong. So in each country, we, fo- we do focus on uh, particular domains. Like um, So for instance, in Singapore, we looked at uh, e-governance um, and also transport. We've been fortunate in able, being able to uh, gather expert interviews in each of these countries with uh, key policymakers, uh, as well as experts from the various industries um, that we look into. In Hong Kong, we look at um, fintech and uh, in Korea, it's uh, been very much e-health and telemedicine. So yeah, that, that project, I think uh, for me, has been quite um, interesting uh, because it doesn't just look at the policy aspects, but for me, it's also very much about um, citizens and uh, the cultures, uh, the kinds of data cultures that in every country, right, uh, can shape uh, how citizens kind of um, interpret uh, the regulations um, and what they fo- see as necessary uh, data protections. So yeah, that's that's been my project so far. Um, and we're at the stage of uh, finalizing all the reports that I expect to uh, release in the next um, couple of months. Great. Well, we look forward to the reports coming out, but can you give us any sneak previews of some of your findings? You just spoke now about um, citizens' cultures of data being very important uh, and the cultural aspect of data, data governance, data protection is something that we haven't explored very explicitly in this series so far, but something that I'm quite interested in myself because I do think it does differ quite a lot from context to context. So is there anything that you can share with us just now uh, before the report comes out? 
Oh, there's so much to talk about, I think. Um, yeah, what I do find that uh, across all the uh, cases we've looked into, uh, citizens do uh, sort of unilaterally fear disclosing personal data, especially in countries where there have been very high profile um, data breaches. It's sort of inflection points for them uh, to realize that their personal data may be at risk, right? Uh, but I think what's also been interesting for me is, I guess, going back to the period, right? <laughs> or rather the context that's informing my project, uh, which is the COVID-19 pandemic, right? Um, so across all the countries we've been able to kind of look into, we do find that um, uh, even though citizens have this fear about um, yeah, losing control over their data, they fear identity theft um, or some kind of misconduct associated with uh, sharing or, or like compromising their, their personal data. There is some sense that uh, if there is some collective social good, there is a greater acceptance um, for actually sharing data, sharing personal data. Now, what's interesting for me looking at uh, these kinds of insights and findings coming out of the reports then is what should we do post-pandemic, right? Uh, when there is this level of acceptance of uh, for yeah, I, I guess uh, personal data to be shared and used to better the pandemic, right? Um, and um, in order for this perceived, um, I guess, collective social good to be achieved, um, there are certain innovations, certain frameworks that are put in place to collect a lot of such uh, personal data. So the big question is what happens post-pandemic? Um, would that, uh, you know, I, I guess, increase the appetite for surveillance, greater surveillance, and um, uh, to what extent will data collection be something for service, for collective social good, uh, or and to what extent it becomes some kind of surveillance on uh, citizens? So that's the big question I have kind of lingering at this point, right? Um, I, and I think um, the other thing that I found is that um, a lot of uh, the conversations uh, about data protection has been very, across the countries, uh, has been very much driven by states and um, uh, technological companies. Uh, not so much participation, right, um, from citizens. So I, I think it is an opportunity in a way, right? Um, and I, I think we have to, I mean, countries have to start seriously, uh, think about how the citizens can play a part, you know, in terms of decision making, in terms of policy making, when it comes to personal data protection, because that. I think it's absolutely um, essential, uh, especially when it comes to building trust and um, yeah, and minimizing distrust, right? Uh, on, that's the other side of the coin. Yeah, definitely. And again, I think themes that are very apparent kind of elsewhere as well, um, particularly the COVID-19 context where a huge amount of personal data is being collected and used. And in many cases, as you I think rightly say, um, it's for a kind of social good and it's an emergency situation. But what happens after the pandemic, I think, is a really key uh, question 
in all respects um, and what, what's going to happen to that data and will the kind of balance change yet? I think many governments and companies are quite happy with all this data as well. <laughs> yeah, indeed. And I just want to add also, right, um, I, I think when we talk about citizens, there are like different groups of citizens as well. And for me, what's um, what I am particularly, I, I guess, concerned about are citizens that may be a bit more vulnerable because of uh, their relatively lower digital literacy or, or just general literacy, right? Yeah, and, and my concern is that data gaps in terms of data protection can arise, especially when it comes to these um, more vulnerable populations. So I think, um, yeah, we have to be very careful, you know, um, policymakers need to also look into how data protection or rather labs in data protection may be more pronounced um, amongst uh, disadvantaged or more vulnerable populations. Have there been any solutions to that in any of the countries that you've looked at? Any best practice around inclusiveness, digital literacy, around data protection for vulnerable people? I think especially during this pandemic, there's been some interest, um, I would say, across all the countries in terms of um, yeah, digital Sometimes they call it digital divides, right? But I think the problem is that um, there's still a lot of focus on access, but uh, not so much looking at the problem from the perspective of data. Vulnerable um, groups, especially, I would argue, experience privacy you know, in a different way, um, experience uh, data protection in a different way from many other people. For many of them, in order to get a service, they have to surrender a lot of personal data uh, in order to qualify for scholarship, for uh, you know, some benefits, they have to surrender a lot of personal data. So big question is what happens to all this personal data? How are they managed? Um, how is such personal data protected and how do these vulnerable uh, populations actually participate in making decisions about their personal data. That's something I think is a gap that um, not many countries are looking at. Definitely. And again, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but I think there is um, this is a common theme across a lot of countries around kind of data protection and privacy for different groups in society, or as you say, um, there being a different meaning of these terms. In fact, that brings me to another question about really whether in general, our notions of privacy or data protection, well understood terms among normal people, the general public in your region, or are they something which seems very technocratic or something that is not really a native term or it sounds sort of foreign. I know in some languages, including European languages, for privacy, the English term privacy is used, which I think shows that it's not really a normal or a native concept. So at least from either from your work or from your own experience, uh, what do you think about this? Do normal people understand privacy and data protection or not? Um, that's an excellent question. And the answer is no. <laughs> I don't think they um, understand that very well. And um, I, I guess a few things uh, I could talk about, right, to kind of support my conclusion. When uh, in the course of uh, doing interviews uh, in, in my project, um, 
uh, when talking to experts, we do often find that, um, I mean, the, the experts are very well-versed, you know, in terms of the issues associated with data protection and privacy and all the governance associated with personal data. Uh, but they also share that in their own countries, the lay person, lay citizens actually may not understand uh, these issues very well. They may be very concerned about their personal data, but in terms of where their personal data actually goes to, how it's processed, how it moves from place to place, uh, what happens you know, during, I guess, anonymization or pseudonymization, that is not very clear um, to citizens. And as such, uh, they can either be very trusting or rather, yeah, another word is they don't really uh, want to find out, right? Uh, you know, in terms of what happens. Um, it's either that on they are either on that end of the spectrum or on the other end of the spectrum where they are totally distrusting about um, sharing any kinds of personal data. So I, I think it's not good to be on either extreme. <laughs> Let me just maybe illustrate uh, how it can make uh, things like uh, informed consent moot, right? Um, when these kinds of understanding is low. So yeah, uh, without sharing, you know, about um, which country it came from, right? But uh, there was uh, an interviewee that shared an anecdote with me uh, to say that, yeah, we follow, you know, the, uh, this uh, principle of informed consent, right? Uh, but in my country, most people, just think, see as additional paperwork, additional thing to go through, right? They don't read um, and they don't really want to know about uh, inconformed content. They just want to get to the service. And, and I think that's a good illustration of what it means to not have that understanding about data protection and privacy issues. And therefore, right, uh, not having that understanding makes uh, interventions like uh, informed consent kind of moot in a way. It becomes less meaningful, right, for the person that's actually saying I approve I, or I consent. The other uh, thing I draw on is um, uh, this series of uh, citizens dialogue that I uh, organized in Singapore uh, sometime towards the end of last year. And um, this was the We the Internet uh, Citizens Dialogue. Um, more than 70 countries got together uh, and uh, organized sort of a concurrent dialogues, right, uh, in their own countries with their 100 citizens in each country. So I was leading the Citizens Dialogue in Singapore. And we talked about so many things uh, during the, yeah, We the Internet Citizens Dialogue. There were so many things that we touched on from uh, misinformation and disinformation to uh, data protection to like internet uh, addiction and so on. But the one thing that citizens or rather participants in my dialogue sessions consistently said that they have very little knowledge of is data. That doesn't mean they are not concerned about their data. I think in Singapore, uh, from the young to the older uh, adults in Singapore, they are quite um, aware that their personal data is important and there is um, the Personal Data uh, Protection Act that actually uh, looks after you know, the protection of their data. But in terms of uh, where data go, goes to, what are the ongoing issues associated with their data? Um, and 
yeah, the different models or different governance ways to govern data, I think that is something that is consistently rated as something they don't know about. Sorry for a very long response. But my, my answer to that is, yeah, I think for citizens, the knowledge is uh, low, especially when it comes to how their personal data is actually governed, how it's, it's pr- protected. Yes, very interesting stuff. To continue this theme a little bit, you've spoken about the citizen dialogues, which sound really fascinating and probably quite challenging to organise across different countries, including during the pandemic. Can you tell us a bit more about uh, the involvement of civil society NGOs, for instance, in your region around data governance or digital literacy issues? Have they been active do they face barriers to being active perhaps in some countries as well? Or have these been topics that actually uh, traditional NGOs and civil society is not very engaged in? From what I can see, uh, yeah, the experience or rather the, the landscapes actually look quite different from country to country. And this has to do with the state of civil society in each country. I think in Singapore, um, because of Singapore's culture, uh, the state plays a very active role in driving the conversations. Um, the states as well as key uh, technological um, players right uh, here. But I do see that uh, from country to country, that's actually quite different. Um, in places like uh, India, as well as Taiwan, uh, civil society plays an active role in also debating the like digital bill, for instance. Um, in Taiwan especially, I think um, for me, what's been very interesting to learn about is also the way uh, the Taiwanese um, government actually design citizens' participation, right, uh, in terms of uh, collecting data and using data. That's actually been very interesting to look at. And um, when I look at actually, yeah, across the countries, right, I I think um, there's no one story. Each country kind of has its own story as to the extent of active um, participation from civil society. So um, in India, there are actually civil society groups um, that are actively looking at the issue of data protection. So yeah, by extension, they are actively involved in the thinking, the deliberation about uh, uh, data protection. Uh, Not so much for other countries that don't really have these civil society groups, right? Very interesting to hear. So what about some other important stakeholder groups when it comes to data protection and data governance? How has the private sector been engaging in these debates and in these activities in the region? Has the private sector worked alongside the public sector and policymakers uh, to create and uphold data protection laws and engage in other data governance activities? Or has the public sector been operating quite separately from the private sector? Yeah, I I do see that actually across the countries, the drive in terms of uh, digitalization and data protection, they are driven primarily by the state um, as well as the private sector. But what they drive is a bit different. Um, So private sectors, I think quite often they drive the hardware, the technological aspects of development, whereas the state actually uh, often plays the role of driving the uh, regulation. They are quite often the legal arbitrator, right? Um, So I I see more of um, 
uh, the private sector, I guess, working more with um, uh, the public sector. Specifically, I, I guess they work with um, the state, right? Um, but they don't work so much, I think, directly with the people sector. Again, I think this is maybe perhaps an opportunity to do more of, right? Um, especially when there are some private uh, enterprises, right? Um, whatever they decide to do uh, with regards to uh, privacy and data protection actually has a direct impact on the people. Um, and I think there's a lot more room, right? Um, and opportunity to engage the people directly. So great. We like to finish by looking into the future. Can you tell us what you think the future of data governance, data protection activities in the region over the next few years is going to be? And how important would these developments be? What kind of impact internationally will they have as well? The value of data, I think, is uh, not by now actually typically viewed in terms of um, uh, being central to driving either economic developments or driving uh, very public uh, governance efficiency uh, in a, to a certain extent. Across the countries, uh, data is viewed as something like an asset, right? Um, and it's because it's an asset, um, it's something to be used. And there is an impetus, an inherent, I guess, motivation across the countries, right, to take advantage of these uh, trends of digitalization as well as data and all its very derivative forms uh, moving forward, right, looking to the future. I think I've mentioned quite a few opportunities, um, you know, we need to pay attention to, right, uh, especially in terms of looking at how citizens can be engaged more. When we think about the future, we have to think about data participation. Um, and um, engaging the citizens, to me, is something that is actually not really happening on a large scale at the moment. And I think there needs to be more of that. I guess for me, the bottom line is if citizens don't trust uh, the process, they don't trust um, the institutions, uh, be it a private or a public institution that's collecting and using data, how will they participate? Um, how will they get involved and be part of these innovations, right? Data innovations in the future. Companies especially, right? Uh, there's uh, also an, an opportunity for them to try to look into engaging people, the citizens actually in a more direct way. Right now, right? I think the relationship between for many companies, for many private entities is one of compliance. The state sets kind of the regulations um, and for private entities, quite often they are paying attention and focusing on compliance, right? Uh, but I would argue that they need to do more than uh, compliance uh, to really take advantage and, and scale up the kinds of innovations that's necessary for the future. Thanks so much, Natalie. Now to finish, I'm going to ask you three more quick questions. I will start the sentence and you can finish it. So data protection is so big in Singapore because? It's the new oil. <laughs> data protection still needs to get better at? Citizens engagement. And finally, the rule of law rules because? That's the principle. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today, Natalie. 
Thank you. So this was the sixth episode of the Rule of Law Rules podcast with me, Angela Daly, and our guest, Natalie Pang. In the show notes, you can find out more about Natalie, links to her work, and more information about the Conrad Adenauer Foundation and its Rule of Law programme, which this podcast is part of. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel, where we will release new Rule of Law Rules episodes at the end of every month. If you have liked this episode, then please give us a good rating and tell your data law geek friends about us too. I hope you've enjoyed our podcast. See you next time. Mm -hmm.